Or you can email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com, no apostrophes. Or you can visit our Facebook page at Let's Talk Torah. So many things to get into this week. Um, I traveled to New York, actually, for a day last week for about 24 hours. Really? Yeah, my father um, hasn't been well. Okay. So he had surgery, and thank God everything went very well. Good. Good and, to hear. Yeah, he's supposed to, they're supposed to release him on, um, on I think, Monday. Yeah, oh, good. Tomorrow, I was supposed to release him, so it was good. I went in. I, I hung out with him. I hung out with my mother. Mm-hmm. I brought her. There's a great bakery here in town, old bakery called Zeman's. Here? It's on, now it's on Greenfield, Greenfield and Ten Mile. It used okay. to be a little further south. Okay. They make a certain cinnamon bun. Oh. My mother loves this. I'm sold. I'm so, sold already. <laughs> she loves it. So before I, I get on the, before I leave for the airport, I go to the bakery, buy some cinnamon buns. That like makes the whole day. Right. The whole day is made as soon as I buy these, um, these cinnamon buns. Anyways, I'm on the plane. Mm-hmm. So I get on the plane and there's a, a, it was actually a grandmother. It's mm-hmm. a grandmother and a daughter, and they had the aisle in the middle seat, and I, of course, had to squeeze into the window. Mm-hmm. But I know all little kids like the window, mm-hmm. so I told the grandmother. I said, "If you would like, you could slide over. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. You can let your. I thought it was a daughter at first, but the granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Let your granddaughter have the window seat, mm-hmm. and everything is fine. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. They slide over. I sit down." But it's a little girl. She's very antsy. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm and I'm listening to the grandmother talk to the daughter, mm-hmm. which is what I always do: mm-hmm. listen to people. And she's antsy. She doesn't want to look out the window right now. Right. She just wants to sit or play. I don't know. And the grandmother says, "You know, the nice man gave you the window seat so you could look out the window. Mm-hmm. You should be looking out the window right now." Right, like sort of missed it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we're helping, mm-hmm. but you're not supposed to force your right. granddaughter to look out the window. Right. It's not going to help her behave on a right. two-hour flight. That was uh, that was my airplane story for the day. <laughs> but anyways, lots of stuff to get into. We are in the middle of the Sukkot holiday. I don't know if uh, we talked last week about yeah, we those did. huts. I don't know if you bought one. I didn't. Yeah, I kind of figured. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's cool to look at, any of, but I, I'm, I'm extremely frugal, so I couldn't justify it. <laughs> yeah, it would be kind of funny. to You would be putting one up in the middle of uh, downtown Detroit and people asking you why, and you'd say, because it, you know, it looks cool and stuff. <laughs> because I want to, that's why. <laughs> because I want to, that's why. We have uh, also a very fun Children almost, children's holiday called Simchat Torah, a lot of dancing. We'll talk about that, I hope, later today. We're going to talk about the four species that are taken. With, uh, we'll talk about them in depth, the palm branch and a citron and some other branches that, are, that, the, that people will shake every morning by prayers. We'll talk about that. We're going to try to talk about what happened in the temple, some very important sacrifices brought during this week, obviously no more. Perhaps we'll talk a little bit, there's a difference between the holiday in Israel and outside of Israel. So we'll see if we have time for that. And, um, okay, before we go on, Mm -hmm. I brought a guest. You did. I brought a guest. He's been asking and pleading and begging for the last, oh, I don't know, two months. (laughs) He was in camp, couldn't come when I brought the other kids. So I brought along my son, soon to be bar mitzvah son. Oh, really? Yeah, that's exciting. Is Mardechai. Mardechai, how are you today? Great. Great. I'm so happy. So your bar mitzvah is coming up in how long? Six weeks. Six weeks. Okay. 
Excited? Yeah. How come? Because it's the age we reach adulthood. It's the age where you reach adulthood. So why does that make you excited? Everyone will be nicer to you? No, but I get to wear a hat. You get to wear a hat. Um, by In his school, mm-hmm. children his age for on the Sabbath and um, when they pray, they actually wear a hat. Almost like the hats you would see people wear in the 50s, like the... You know, those FBI guys or even presidents, those kind of hats the children wear. No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I own a few. See? But you don't get to wear one until your bar mitzvah. Okay. Okay, so now we know what's making you excited about your bar mitzvah. Excellent. So talking about uh, the holidays uh, starting up, so I have like a lot of things happened over these last few days. Mm -hmm. Not that I was busy, just happened. So they asked me to lead the services... Um, Friday morning. Okay. So there's tunes. We, we played music a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. with the Kal Nidre. And so I have to lead the tune. And it's one of these pieces where if you start the too high, I mean, you're a musician. If you mm-hmm. start too high, there's no music there to get you on key. Right. So you're just singing with right. the crowd. If you start too high, you can't finish. You're going to get stuck. Right. I got stuck. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so... I actually asked my son, he said he didn't notice it because the crowd must have been singing. So nobody, I hope, right. noticed that I like I lost it, right. had to wait a few bars and then got back into it. So I was wondering, were you ever in public where you basically did something that embarrassed you and you had to keep going? Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm here too. Uh, but yes, I, I've been on stage quite a bit and I've done some things and... You know, that's the best thing to do is just to keep going. You know, if if you just keep going, there's chances are the audience will not realize that you've made a mistake. At least at least hopefully sometimes right. they do. But, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to let a little mistake or even a bigger mistake just, you know, throw me off. Cool. I, yeah. At least I, I try to do that to the best of my ability. I try to recover so I tell you how I think. Okay. When that happens to me, now you understand, I still have another hour to go right. of leading the services. Mm-hmm. I can't just like quit, right? Not, right, never. Can't yeah. quit. So in my mind, I say, it's not so bad. You're, you're not such a haughty person. Mm-hmm. Not everything is perfect. Not everything works the way you want it to work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things go the way you want. Sometimes you almost get knocked down a peg. And it, it, just, it just makes everything flow better. You're not worried right. about being so perfect. That's... That's the thought that crossed my mind for right. the next 10 minutes till right. I forgot about it. Did that ever happen to you, Mardachai? Yeah. What'd you do? We have plays in our school, so we were on stage, and we made a mistake. So did you just stop? Did you just collapse, or you just kept going? Uh, which time? <laughs> okay, there you have it. Which time? <laughs> just, p- just pick one time. We, we, we don't need to know how many mistakes you've made in your... Long uh, career of acting. I kept going. You kept going. Very good. good. That's what you're supposed good. to do. Okay, excellent. So last week, Tovatsuka, I just wanted mm-hmm. to just get into one quick point. Last week, um, I talked about with um, with Ethan. Mm-hmm. We talked about the idea of sukkah hopping. Okay, yeah, yeah. I the idea was that people will have in their sukkah bowls of candy or chips or cookies Mm -hmm. and children in the neighborhood will come by and they'll take some. Um, It's an old 
Detroit custom. It's not like it's a Torah custom that you'll go to other cities or other countries. I don't think it happens so much. I remember with a friend, we would go check out people's different huts, but not because it was anything official, just we were curious. Right. This is almost like official. So it actually started, I'm going to say in the 50s. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. Back in the 50s, there was a day school in town, Mm -hmm. still here in town, one of the biggest day schools probably in the country, uh, Orthodox day schools Mm -hmm. called uh, Beth Yehuda, and and they would have the children come to school during this holiday, during what we call these intermediary days. Mm -hmm. As my son here does not have school this week, children nowadays don't have school during this week in a regular Orthodox day school, but in those days they did. And the reason was they wanted the children to experience a sukkah. And they knew the neighbors they lived in, it was unlikely. So the idea was, bring the kids to school. We're not learning today, no studying, no tests. We're going to take you out, each class, to a few different people's sukkah. And you'll just enjoy the, the, the atmosphere, is right. really a good word. So I think from there, people got used to leaving candy out because you never knew when the kids were going to come by. I get you. That makes sense, yeah. Not to be confused with Halloween, mind you, which is coming up. Uh, There's no trick-or-treat when you knock at the door and you open a bag. That's not what happens. Right. They want you to come in, sit down, talk for a few minutes, say hello, make a blessing. Then you could stick everything in your pocket on your way out. Right. (laughs) That part we don't care. That part you get, right? Yeah, that part I like. That part you like. (laughs) That part you like. I had, uh, all right, we'll talk about my own sukkah, my own party. We'll get to that a little bit later. Anyways, I just wanted to get into that point. So, um, oh, I remember I left myself a lot of notes, so many things to talk about, and they don't even connect. So I'm with my father. Mm -hmm. So this is amazing. I was just discussing with the doctor. So he had some, uh, had to have his bladder removed. Oh. Yeah, but everything, thank God, went very well. Okay. Um, so after the surgery, mm-hmm. they actually don't let you drink anything because the doctor explained to me when they go into the body and they move the intestines and the stomach, as soon as they play with the, the body, mm-hmm. the organs go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the intestines are not working and the stomach is not working. And then they do the surgery and then they put the person back together. Now they use lap- laparoscopy because yeah. a couple holes now it's like very, they don't take you apart and put you back together. And then a few days later, day two, three, the body starts to wake up, and they start to feed you water and soft food and then regular food. So how long can't you eat, drink for? Every person is different. How long could um, Zadine wasn't eating? So he's already eating soft food. I spoke to him last night. So it takes a few days. But here's what I found fascinating. It was God created our body. But sometimes he knows doctors have to do surgery. Not that they were doing surgery three and 4,000 years ago, but God created a body that when the doctor goes in to operate, can you imagine if all the body parts were still working? So the doctors have to worry about a stomach and, and intestines. Not everything goes to sleep. Doctor, you do your work. Mm-hmm. When you finish your work, the body will, at, at, when it's ready, will wake up and right. everything will be back to normal. I just found that to be amazing. The Absolutely. body works that way. And the doctor wasn't so impressed. <laughs> you know, like, I, maybe he's used to it. I, I, I'm over and over, I'm telling the doctor how it's so amazing, it's so wondrous, and the doctor was sort of like, yeah, you know, goes to sleep, it wakes up, like, he thinks, I don't know what he thinks. 
Well, it deals uh, with it every single day, all day. Probably. But yeah. I found that to be just amazing. So certainly during the holidays when we like, it's sort of when we're in our sukkah and we're with God sharing the sukkah, we got to share things that are happening with, the, with, with what we see, what's in the world, what's happening out there. I just found it to be amazing. Okay. So we talked about sukkah a lot. That's really part one of the holiday. The second part of the holiday really revolves around the, um, the four different types of, I'll call them foods, but they're mm-hmm. not really foods, but plants that we, um, that we shake. And I don't know, uh, Leonard, you there? So we're going to talk about these four species. I took some pictures I sent you in with my kids just to give you an idea of what it looks like. So um, there's four things we use. We use a tall green palm branch, date tree, date palm, all the same. A tall, tall palm branch. We take a citron. That's like a yellow, it's mostly a bitter fruit. They actually sell it in bulk in California. You can order a case of them for a couple dollars. Right. Um, so that's, like, that's called a citron, or in Hebrew it's called an etrog. That's a yellow fruit. Okay. So like a yellow fruit. Well, they look like lemons. They do look like lemons. It's not a lemon. It's a little bumpier. It's uh, got some stem sticking out. Yeah, I just looked them up. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a not a very attractive fruit. And it's not an attractive fruit at all. Um, and why that was chosen is an interesting uh, question. We also use three myrtle branches. Again, they smell very pretty. Sometimes in a flower shop, people will stick in myrtle branches to add some green, to add some smell to the flowers. And we also use what's called, I guess, like a willow branch or two willow branches. And these are just very long, thin leaves. Um, it's not like an, it's not a willow tree. It's it's more of a plant. I probably have the wrong English word for it, but uh, they grow usually by rivers. I have a humongous one in my backyard. Those are what we use for, we put those four species together, and then we actually wave them in four directions, and then up and down. That's what we do with these four, we'll call them plants, or, mm-hmm. or branches, for lack of a better term. And uh, let's talk about a few things. Should we test you, or we should be nice? We should test you. We should test you, okay. Um, but this is really a hard question. So if you don't know the answer to this one, we'll make, uh, we'll make easier ones. Um, why are we waving these branches? They're like flags. They're like flags. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, I wasn't thinking in that direction. They're like flags. So why are we waving this flag? It's like you, in America, when they first, America first came into America, they put down a flag and they said, we are... Here, we're saying that about our nation. I mean, they did that when they landed on the moon. I'm not sure if they planted a flag when they first got to America. But uh, right, that, there is an importance to a flag. Uh, it's possible they're like a flag, but I'm going to go in a different direction. If you would be a farmer, what would you be doing during this season? What would you be doing right now? Well, not the holiday, but right around now. What, what is a farmer doing? Putting his uh, crop in the... Silo. Right, because this is the season where after your months of plowing and hoeing and, and uh, pruning and, and uh, planting and harvesting, everything's dried up in the field. You've got all your food, you've winnowed, you've threshed. It's time to bring all your stuff into your silos. So if you're a farmer, 
This is the ultimate season. All your work. See, most of us nowadays, we get paychecks. Or we work, we sell something, or there's always money coming and going for most people. Yes, I answered lawyers and doctors, a lot of stuff gets pushed off with insurances and billing to the end of the year. But most people are used to paychecks all the time. A farmer really gets his paycheck right now. All his food, all his stuff is now put away, whether he's using it for the next year to support his family, whether he's going to go to the market to sell it, whatever he's going to do, this is his paycheck. So he is now at his happiest because he's got, he did it. All his work has come to fruition, if you like that pun. It's a real word. So now is the time where God says, you got to show you're happy serving me also. So we're going to take different types of plants and trees and fruit to wave in front of God to say, yeah, I'm being happy with you. I'm thanking you for all the produce you've given me. So um, why don't we just wave a lulav? You mean, why do we have all four? Oh, so we have lots of reasons for that. It's a good question. We're going to talk about why maybe some reasons. There's many reasons for all four. But the first, the, the, to get the gist, the, the holiday is based around that we are thanking God for our produce, that I can put everything away. I now have my livelihood. I can now survive for the next year. And uh, I've got my paycheck. And so now is the time to thank God. That's the first thing. The question is, you want to know why these four, which is an excellent question. So interesting, they symbolize a few different things. One of the answers I like is that uh, these four species actually represent different types of people. Uh, Don't feel bad. I send this home as, a, uh, as something to talk about around the table with my third grade students, and you're not in third grade anymore, and why should you have to remember from four years ago? That wouldn't insult me at all. I saw would it insult you, Ben, if your kid doesn't remember what you told him four years ago? Well, if I had one, probably not. Probably not. Yeah, okay, you're like, safe. I saw a yeah. picture on Rum's notebook of the eyes. And right, the that's eyes. a different answer. We're not up to that one yet. That's a different answer. We're there with the answer of people. So interesting if you think about it. The, um, the fruit, the etrog, even though it's not going to be something you'll sit down to eat. I had an orange today. I would not sit down to eat an etrog. It's just not a tasty fruit. Right. I think people, they peel it, they make jams out of it, they, they do stuff to it as a, maybe as a, to add to food or something. I mean, in California, they sell it. People must eat it. Right. But it's not, a, it's not an orange, it's not an apple, it's not something you sit down and just take a slice and eat. It's it, too bitter. It smells nice. It smells nice. Very good. It does have a taste. It does have smell. So in this concept, we're going to talk about taste and smell. Taste represents people who study Torah, they're studious. Smell represents people who have good deeds. So the etrog will represent people who have everything. They have Torah and they have good deeds. The, the palm branch really represents the date tree. So dates have a taste, but not really a smell. So that represents people that are full of Torah, but no good deeds. Then you have the myrtle branch, which has beautiful smell, but I wouldn't eat it. It's a stick. Right? So, hey, Ben is laughing. I can eat it. Yeah, right? So that'll represent people that, that, have, um, that have good deeds, but maybe no Torah. Then you have this willow branch. No taste. I mean, bitter doesn't count. I mean, you wouldn't eat it. 
has no smell, no taste. It's pretty. It could be pretty. It's certainly not as pretty as the Myrtle Branch. And interesting enough, you don't find people sticking it into flower arrangements. I mean, it grows by the river. It looks okay, I guess, when it's growing. That represents people with nothing. They don't have Torah. They don't have good deeds. And now we're going to take the four species and we're going to put them together. So we're going to put all types of people together. And that is symbolic of peace. Peace is not just people that I'm similar to. But the idea of peace is... I'm supposed to be friendly and nice and loving to people that are not similar to me as well. We want everyone to be together. But the asterisk, you said it's about the smell and the... Taste. Taste. But there was two other things that you said, one was each of them. So right. So why do you so need yeah, people, all three? Because there's different kinds of people. There are people that have everything, and there are people that have one or the other, and people that have nothing. That gets me all four. Otherwise, I would think I want everything or nothing. Everybody in the middle has no value. So we need to know there's all kinds of people out there, and they all serve a purpose. Whether I know their purpose or not is not our concern, but there's all kinds of people. You follow so far? Okay. So now, listen to this. It's very fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling this over to my father. So he says to me, you know... My rabbi, his rabbi's name was a rabbi Pessin. He's not alive anymore. He said, when we say shalom, shalom is peace. Mm -hmm. So his rabbi always said, peace is the wrong translation of shalom. I'm not even sure if shalom is in the dictionary. It may be. It's just one of those international words. Probably, yeah. So he said, peace is the wrong translation of shalom. He actually said the translation is harmony. What's the difference between peace and harmony? In my mind, um, harmony is proactive. And I was, I'm going to be friendly with you. I'm not just going to sit back and not yell at you and not bother you. So you walk your way, I walk my way. Harmony means we're going to do things together. to be together. Right. Which is really symbolic of what I'm doing with these four species. I'm bringing them together. So bringing them together creates harmony. So we don't just want that everybody's not fighting or killing each other for peace. We want everyone to be with harmony. So there's two interesting times in history where we find how powerful the idea of peace is. One, we're going to actually talk about in a couple weeks. Okay. We talked about, uh, maybe, maybe many weeks ago, about Noah and the Flood. Yes. So you have the story of Noah and the Flood. And then later in that Torah portion, you have the story of the Tower of uh, Bavel or the Tower of Babel, right. where all the people were spread out. In both cases, in both cases, the um, the world was a wicked place. Mm -hmm. Right? The, there's a lot of stealing going on and other things going on. By the time of Noah, God destroys the world. By the Tower of Bavel. Also, it's a wicked place. I mean, mm -hmm. they're building the tower to attack God. That's the gist of it. We'll talk about it at length. But their goal was to either protect themselves from God or to attack God. And either way, not good. Right. So one world, God basically destroys except for Noah. One world, God changes the languages, spreads them out, destroys the tower, but the people were not destroyed. So what was the difference between these two groups. Because by the tower, to make a building, everybody has to work together to 
um, achieve their goal, but by Noah and the Flood, every um, nobody was working together. They were all stealing, or technically they were working together. Hey, pretty good, huh? Yeah. If yeah. I ever need a vacation, I, br- I send him. All right. Oh, Christian. Question. No, first, we have to finish the thought. You said very good. Now we're going to explain. <laughs> then you'll ask me a question. So that's the difference. The time of Noah and the Flood, there was mm-hmm. no peace. If I'm stealing from you or I'm murdering, we're not friends. Right. We're building this tower. We're all in it together. There was peace. So God says, I love peace so much that even if you're trying to fight with me and I should wipe you out, I'm not going to. I'll find another way to deal with it. I'll spread you out all over the world. I'll change your languages. You can't work together anymore. But when the world is not, when the world does not have peace, um, nowadays it's not very good. When the world is not at peace, then God is not happy. Then that's very uh, detrimental, we should say, for the survival of the world. So that becomes a big difference between the flood where everybody's wiped out, except for Noah, and the tower above him. This is one example. I have another one after Mordechai tells us his uh, question. Mm-hmm. But this is one example of the power of peace, which again is what we're trying to symbolize with our lulav and etro, with our palm branch and our, uh, and our, uh, and our citron fruit. Yes, what's your question? Two questions. Two questions. I feel like I'm in school. Yeah, good. My first question is, by Noah and the Flood, they technically did work together because, like, if you steal a certain amount of money, a very little amount, the Besden can't make you pay. And, like, a bunch of people got together. Right, okay. That, man, I'm going to explain. You know, if you get getting a little technical on this? You know, let me tell you something. Right. It's like teenagers, and he's right. almost there. Right. And they talk their own language. It's right. like in code. Right. So if you speak the code, it's like my kids can text with all these little letters. Yeah. I have no idea what they're talking about. Right. They laugh at me. <laughs> so they have all these little codes. I don't speak those codes. Right. But this code I speak. Um, it says in the time of Noah, they wanted to make sure they could steal without being taken to court. So they would steal such a minimal amount. You take one grape. You're going to take me to court for a grape? Right. What are you going to do? So if a hundred of us walk into your store and we each take one grape, what are you going to do? So that's not called working together. That's, we're all on our own. We're not at peace with anybody. We just found a, it's not even a legal loophole. We found a rotten way <laughs> of stealing. Okay, so that's your first question. Next question. By the tower... Um, Hashem made everybody... Now, don't worry. I have a friend listening, and he likes intelligent questions. So for sure, he's going to send me a message right after the show. Rabbi, he was a good guest. He asked good questions. He likes good questions. He doesn't speak code, but he likes good questions. Go ahead. Um, By the tower, Hashem made them not be... they weren't able to work together anymore because they weren't able to communicate. Right. If he loved peace, why did he do that? Because the people intrinsically had peace. That was their nature. So I can't work with you because I don't speak your language. It doesn't mean I hate you. It doesn't mean I can't work with you. I just, I can't communicate with you. So people will spread out. The people they, they can communicate with, they'll talk to. Everybody else, either you learn the language. Or you don't learn the language. Good? Let's move on. Um, as a second, and we, we may get back to this language thing later, a, another famous example is with King David. Interesting enough, King David was very righteous, lived in a very righteous time. He was a king, he was a warrior, but it's not like he ruled the world. 
Right. Now, he had the land of Israel, maybe conquer the areas around, but he was not a world power. But he was a very righteous man. Right. Um, many generations later, there was a very wicked king. Um, his name was Ahav. You probably know his wife is more famous. Jezebel, Izabel is the Hebrew word. Very wicked people. They made many Jews do idol worship. Very wicked mm -hmm. people. But interesting enough, in the time of this king, Ahav, he did actually rule the world or whatever the world was considered in those days. How do we know he ruled the world? Because he was looking for Elijah. Elijah the prophet, he was looking for him because this Elijah was responsible for a famine. There was no rain for three years, and this King Ahav needed this Elijah to bring the rain back. Right. He sent messages around the world. If you have this guy, I want him. You've got to get him for me, bring him back. And every kingdom sent back messages. No, we promise you, we don't know where he is, we can't find him. If you don't rule the world, right, like nowadays, if... If one country calls another country, we're looking for this criminal. Mm -hmm. If you happen to have, um, uh, I'm sure people know the word I'm looking for, I don't remember the word, but if you have those laws that you'll send people from country to country, so if you know where the guy is, you might send extradition? him Extradition? That's it, extradition, right, mm -hmm. those treaties. If you have it, you'll send him back. You're not actively looking for him. And if you don't have that treaty, for sure you're not bothering. And if you don't like the country so much, you may lie anyways. So how did he know that he had searched the world because there's a verse that says, I looked for the whole world, we couldn't find you. Maybe everybody lied. The answer is he ruled the world. Right. I'm, he was in control. No, a different question. I'm not ready for a different question. I have to get through <laughs> my story first. Can't interrupt stories. I mean, you could, but I'm going to keep going anyways. Anyways, so, but he did rule the world. So how come the righteous King David couldn't rule the world while this wicked King Ahav could? So again, the Talmud explains... In the time of King David, there were tattletalers, there were slanderers, people slandered King David numerous times. People weren't so nice. When people are not so nice, you don't deserve to rule the world. And the, the, this same King Ahab is looking for this Elijah the prophet. People knew where he was, they didn't tell. And as he was in Israel the whole time, people knew they did not tell King Ahab where he was. So if there's no slandering, if there's no tattletaling, if people are right. at peace, then you deserve to rule the world. Not that the king himself is a good guy, but your nation that's at peace and they're good people, they deserve it. Actually came up, I remember the third one just now. Could do this all day long. But just <laughs> examples of the power of peace. Remind me of another one. But yeah, what's your question? Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that he, was, he ruled the world. He was just a very powerful person and they don't want to get on his... It's possible, but the Talmud says he did rule the world. And that proof they give is my proof. You want to say they were afraid of him. I'm not sure if there's much of a difference. If the whole world is afraid of me and will do whatever I want, so it matters that I actually have my flag planted on your country, you do whatever I say anyways. So it's almost as good as, as ruling the world, don't you think? When you shake your head, they can't hear you on the mic. No. Oh, yeah. See? There you go. Okay, now you remind me of another one. Let me give you one more. Okay. Moses, Moses, when he flees Egypt the first time, he kills an Egyptian, and he has to flee the country. So when he flees the country, he said a very, a very interesting statement. He says, it is true, the thing is known. So what thing is known? He had killed an Egyptian, fine. He would saved a Jew's life. Okay, good. 
The next day he comes out and he's telling these two Jews to stop fighting and uh, he understands from their conversation that they have tattletailed, they have slandered him to the king, to the pharaoh, that he murdered, he murdered an Egyptian. So, so Moses says this language of, it's true the thing is known. So what's known? So the commentaries say that he said, I couldn't understand why the Jews are suffering so tremendously. This slavery is so intense and they murder the babies and throw them into the river and they, all the horrible stuff. Why are we suffering so amazingly? And he says to himself, if one Jew could tattletale on another Jew, we get what we deserve. So again, that's the, the to compare and contrast. Peace is powerful. And on the other extreme, if there's no peace, unfortunately, it's also powerful in the opposite direction. Okay, that's one symbol of these four species. So far, so good? Great. Yeah. Okay. A, you wanted to say another symbolism that you saw in one of my papers that I sent home. What is that? Oh, that the love is the backbone. Right, this tall palm branch could represent the person's backbone. Good. The asterisk is the heart. Right, the etro would looks like my heart. Okay, good. The hadasim are the myrtle branches. Are the eyes? Yeah, it looks like. I mean, the shape of the leaf is very similar to an eye. Good. One more. And the aravis are the mouth. Right, the willow branch, very long, thin. It looks like my mm-hmm. lips. So this is representative of a person's body. We talk. We see our heart, heart and mind. I was explaining to my kids. Um, in Talmudic literature, heart, mind are really equal. Um, and then obviously without a backbone, I would be like mush on the floor. Like uh, there wouldn't be too much to any of us. Right. So it represents the person because my job is to serve God with my whole body, which we talked about last week, that the sukkah mm-hmm. is that mitzvah, that command that my whole body is serving God with. Or you also find, if you ever saw pictures of people praying at the Western Wall, mm-hmm. so they're actually swaying back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you see I've those seen it. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's a, actually a Yiddish word for that, that swaying. You mm-hmm. know what it is? That shaking back and forth. What's that Yiddish word? Shuckling. Very good. You win the prize. Shuckle means Shuckle. to shake. Yeah. It's the same word, right? Okay. So um, the idea of that waving during prayers is because mm-hmm. my whole body is getting involved in my prayers. Right. So again, that's another symbolism. Okay. Now, interesting. Um, the, the command to take these four species, as far as the Torah is concerned, is you know how many days? Um, the Sukkot holiday is seven days. Let's start with that. So how many days does the Torah say I'm supposed to shake my, my, my palm branch, my lulav, and my etrog? How many days? Six. Six would not be the right answer. Why not the Shabbos? So you can't do it then. Good. <laughs> There's six other th- Five. No. Four. You know, I think on a test, <laughs> you, you, you get one guess, two guesses. It's just a countdown. No. Oh, one, one, one. One, one. very good point. <laughs> not, not many choices left, but okay, we'll, we'll give you partial credit for one. Um, in any case, yes, it is, um, the Torah missile was one. Just the first day, that's it. We actually shake it the whole holiday. Okay. But in the time of the, of the temple, 
you shook it one day unless you were up on the Temple Mount. If you were on the Temple Mount or by the Temple, then you actually had a mitzvah command every day to shake it. What do you mean if you were by the... It's the Beidu, if you're by the Western Wall, right? Like so, if you live there? Or you just go visit. So people today that will go visit the Western Wall will make sure to take their, their four species with them because they'll fulfill a Torah command instead of just a rabbinic command. Is that why you, you have to own your esrog and no, lulav? No, totally separate. We're not going to go there. Not now that's too complicated. That's <laughs> just a verse. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty. That I do with them at home or in school. But um, So the Torah command of seven days was only in the temple. Outside of the, the Beis HaMikdash. Outside of the temple, anywhere in Israel, or in America, or any other country, it was one day. There was a great rabbi by the name of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Say, he lived during the destruction of the temple. He lived before it. He had to do a whole plan to sneak out of Jerusalem because they didn't want to let him out. He had to pretend he was dead. They snuck him out. He went to the emperor and he actually was going to a general. He, of course, the guards bring this old rabbi to the general and he says to the general, like, long live the king. So he says, long live the king, I'm a general. How dare you call me the king? And if I'm the king, what took you so long to get here? <laughs> so he said, you know, I, I couldn't get out. You can't, like, get out. They're not letting people out. I had to do a whole plan. It took, like, a week or two to do this plan to get out. And you must be a king because Jerusalem will not fall in the hand of just a plain general. It has to right. be a king. Sure enough, a, a messenger comes by right away and says the Caesar has died in Rome and they voted you in as the new Caesar. You have to go back. So he says to this Rabbi Yochanan Zakei, wow, it's amazing. Since you gave me the good news first, I will grant you, sounds like a genie, I will grant you three wishes. <laughs> okay, but, uh, but no like magical wishes. Right. So interesting, he did not ask to save the temple or Jerusalem. He knew that was not happening. Right. So he asked to keep the family of King David alive. He asked for a special doctor for a certain rabbi. And he asked that the, the, the rabbis can relocate to a city called Yavne, and the court and the head rabbis can all hang out in that city, and you'll leave them alone. I'm right. going to answer to why he didn't ask for the... No, I'm not going to answer that question. I answered already. I said because he thought he wouldn't get... He wants to know why he didn't ask to save the temple, and that uh, the simple answer is because uh, he figured he wouldn't get it. Oh, I have a different answer. Good, but I don't want a different answer because that's not my direction right now. But as long as I get chuckles from Ben. So <laughs> he saved the, the, the rabbis, the, the Torah, the scholarship, he saved it. So soon after, whether it was a couple years later, the rabbis realized, this was after the destruction of the second temple, the rabbis realized that we're in for the long haul. As the first temple was destroyed, seven years later it was rebuilt. The second temple still hasn't been rebuilt. That's 2,000 years already. So he said, we're going to have to incorporate, we're going to have to make some decrees to keep alive the memory of the temple. One of those decrees was that even outside of the temple, we take our lulav, our palm branch, and our etrog for all seven days. Okay, Berdach, I mentioned before, on the Sabbath, we don't. That's a separate conversation, but... All in all, for all seven days, we do take this lulav and esrog, this palm branch and citron, we take it all seven days as a remembrance that we had a temple and these are the rules in the temple and today we don't have those rules. 
So he actually instituted a whole slew of, of laws, of decrees, that their purpose was to remember the temple. As a side point. Right. So I went to visit my father. Uh, my aunt was there. So she's the older sister. So we were talking where she grew up if she remembered her rabbis. So interesting, she had good memories and bad memories. But one of the rabbis she had, she remembers that he was the best rabbi. She was all of four or five years old. And it was a small town, so rabbis came, rabbis went. He moved on to bigger and better positions. So before he left town, he went and found her. And he said, you know, uh, name is Rhoda. Rhoda, um, I just want to say goodbye. I want you to know nothing to do with you but um, I'm going to a different city. I'm going to be leaving the post here as rabbi. Obviously, she remembers the story today, right? The story is probably 70-plus years ago, mm-hmm. maybe closer to 75-plus years ago, without saying how old you are, because I'm not really sure how old you are, but I'm just <coughs> guessing, right? So, Because mm-hmm. I think she watches. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, so in her mind, right. that's a rabbi. That's a rabbi. He cared about me. He cared enough about a four-year-old girl or five-year-old, that uh, when he has to leave, he doesn't just, you know, pack up and say goodbye to the adults and leave the kids behind. He cared. So right. just thinking, we're talking about rabbis, and this rabbi with his decrees. So this was just in her mind, this becomes the, the ultimate, you know, idea of a rabbi. That was just, I thought, a very interesting story that she happened to have appreciated. And since I never heard that story before... Um, I decided to say it over. It's a small town. Uh, Very small town. Where? The town know. was Hornell, New York. If you know the throughway, it is, I believe, it's either exit 33 or maybe 34A on the New York throughway. Okay. It's um, about an hour from Buffalo, an hour from Rochester. I'm sure people uh, are listening and I'm off. It's 45 minutes or it's a half an hour. It's not right. a half an hour. But it's up in that area of New York. Very small town. Never okay. had a school. Had a synagogue, right? Which I remember, um, and they had rabbis come and go, but it, it was such a small town that the afternoon or Sunday school that they had. So this this aunt of mine said to me, she said she was the only girl in the class, like all the kids of that age group that were Jewish, she was the only girl. Everybody had boys, right? So she had to be in the boys' class. She didn't like that, right? As being the only girl. It seems she had some stories that she very much didn't like it. But in any <laughs> case, um, as always, just a reminder, as my clock is ticking down, but if you'd still like to contact us, you can call us at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can e- email us at letstalktorah at gmail.com. Okay, so talking about temple services, mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about um, two, two special um services, sacrifices that took place. One was uh, there were actually 70 cows mm-hmm. brought during the week, over the week. It was actually, wasn't 10 a day. It was actually, um, it, went, it went down. It was 13 the first day, 12 the second day, 11 the third day, um, 10, 9, 8, 7. Grand total, 70. What's this number 70? So we were talking before about uh, Noah and the Tower of Bavel, there were actually 70 families. The Torah actually lists the 70 families. Those 70 families became the 70 nations of the world. Who and what are those nations? 
who and what are those original languages, who knows? English is not one of them. No. And French and Spanish is not one of them. Is Latin one of them? Perhaps. Um, um, Gre um, the Greek language should be one of them. Um, the Hebrew language is not one of them. There was 70 plus one. Perhaps the Arab language, perhaps um, some of the old Iranian languages like Aramaic. Why do you call it 70 plus one and not 71? Be that's a very good question. He's good. He's going to get me in trouble. I can't hide. <laughs> the answer is because we look at the 70 nations of the world and then we look at the Jewish people as a totally separate nation. It's not the Jews are one of 70 nations. There's 70 nations and then there's the Jewish people. By God choosing the Jewish people, he's sort of almost like an honor guard. But more than that, there's the Jewish people and then there's the 70 nations. So looking at two, two separate groups. One yeah. group of 70, one group of one. Right. That's exactly what it yeah. is. Good. Excellent. Very good. Good question. My friend Alex will be very proud of you. Now we can test if he listened, because he has to say that you said my name. Mm -hmm. Do you ever test like this? Can you do your show? No, not really. Uh, I do get emails about about asking questions and for, for more information about things that I've talked about, oh, but cool. that's but never had a test. <laughs> never test. Okay, so we, we have now tested. No, not, now I have something for Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. We have now tested a few people. Here we go. Yeah. In any case, so those sacrifices were brought... Mm -hmm for the benefit of the 70 nations. In other words, we're going to bring these 70 sacrifices over the Sukkot holiday so that the, God will send down his blessing to the world. And the world was blessed when there was the temple. The food was better, fruit tasted better, there weren't bugs all over everything, food was bigger. I just saw a piece of Talmud yesterday. They actually, I don't know where it is now, but there was a time where they would Make, they would mint coins, it seems, to draw pictures of some extremely large wheat kernels or, mm -hmm. or beans or barley so people would know what things look like when God was happy with everybody when mm -hmm. there was a temple. How do you draw a picture of size? Well, you could trace it. You could just make a picture. Making something life-size, yeah, actual. Yeah, they'll yeah. probably put on the bottom and said, this is what it really looked like. This is not an enlarged version. Right. This is what it really looked like. So in any case... So the temple actually served a purpose not only for the Jewish people, but it benefited the world. The sad part is the world didn't realize the benefit they were, they were receiving. If the world would know that this is the source of all blessing, well, there's going to be international guards, international armies surrounding the temple to say, this is not the place you're going to attack. Right? This is not the place you're going to destroy. Not only that, there'd probably be policemen from these international armies going to different farms to the Jews and say, what are you doing on your farm? You should be up at the temple making sure our sacrifices are brought properly because we benefit from that. If you stay on your farm, who's going to take care of it? Oh, who's going to watch my farm? Who's going who's gonna... to... We'll take care of it. We'll plow, we'll harvest, we'll guard. Don't you worry. You just get up there and you do your job. But the world didn't know. So we all lost. That's one interesting sacrifice that really revolves completely around the Sukkot holiday. A second um, sacrifice, not really a sacrifice, was uh, water. This is the season where we need to start praying for rain. We do start praying for rain because now that everything is brought in, I finished harvesting, everything's by silos, we need the rain season to come, and Israel starts pretty soon. 
and it lasts for all four or five months. So now is when we need rain. So part of the prayer for rain was a was a libation. They would pour water into a funnel on top of the altar. And this was a, a whole procedure. This was major, major. They would have a golden vessel and they would go to a river below the temple and they would bring the water up to the temple mount and people would parade and there would be music and they'd be dancing. They danced through the night. And the the priest would bring it up to the altar and he would pour it down and lots of dancing. It was very, very uh, spiritual, to say the least. Um, interesting enough, the rabbis comment then that they separated the men and the women. It wasn't the kind of party, it wasn't a lewd party where everybody's just hanging out together. That was That's the wrong idea of the party. The idea was it was a a spiritual party where everybody's dancing and, and th- I mean, you know music, right? Mm-hmm. And through their dancing, they uplifted themselves spiritually, and it says some people even received prophecy because of their level of spirituality from this special pouring of water, or in Hebrew it's called Nisuch Hamayim. Did you know that one? Yeah. Cool. Can't get anything by him. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Now, interesting enough, there was a group at the time of the temple called the Tzedukim. The Tzedukim only believed in the written Torah. They didn't want to deal with the rabbis, therefore they said, we don't believe in the oral Torah. That was interesting is because they didn't believe in the oral Torah, it made life more difficult for them. I imagine. Well, for example, it says uh, on Sabbath. Mm-hmm. It says on Sabbath you can't have a fire. So the rabbis explain you can't make a new fire. But if there's a fire going, it's allowed to keep going. Right. If your food is warm, if you have a way to heat up a brick in, in those days and keep your food on the brick, you keep everything hot, you can right. do that. They wouldn't let anything be hot because they didn't have the oral law explaining what the written law meant. Well, it happens to be this pouring of water is not written in the Torah. It is completely what we call a law given to us from Moses. It is completely oral law. So they didn't do this. So when, when they would have a chance to be a priest or a high priest, so the story goes, one high priest went up. Now, everybody knows he's supposed to be, uh, supposed to be pouring the water. So he poured it on his feet and set it down the hole because I don't believe in this. Well, the temple has thousands of people, and they're all watching. As soon as they see this guy, this Tzaduki, mm-hmm. that's the, the group they call themselves, pour the water onto his feet, they all took their citrons and turned them into rocks. They stoned the guy. They said, this is not how we do things. They, with, a, with a citron? Yeah. Yeah, that's a thick rind on that. That thick rind. If you throw a couple thousand, you yeah. could hurt somebody. I can it. imagine so, yeah. You could really, really hurt somebody. So, um, anyways. Ta. Yeah. Um, the the thing they were trying to do, why weren't you, don't you throw the person off the cliff first? No, that's something else. That's stony. We're not gonna get there. Now I did. Oh, it's really getting late. I had a joke I wanted to tell. Can I tell a joke? Yeah. This was such a good joke. Okay. And then we'll try to get to the Simchat Torah, and then we'll wrap things up. But I just thought this was a great joke. Okay, I'm practicing my telling jokes. Good. So Rachel Epstein has nothing to do with what we're talking, except I figure I need a break for a joke. Okay. (laughs) So Rachel Epstein is working in the kitchen, and she's listening to her little son, Moishi, playing with his new train set. Okay. Just sees a train set from his grandparents, playing with his train set. And he hears, she's, you know, like mothers, paying attention, and she hears Moishi saying, uh, okay, all you son of a guns, if you stop, you get off the train right now, don't make us wait, you get moving, you get rolling, Get off the train. Right. 
And all you people coming on, you whatever you are, yeah. get your luggage put away, sit down on your seats. We got to get moving here. No time to play. Anyways, the mother's listening to the conversation. You can add any type of words you want to the conversation. And the mother says to Maishi, this is not the way we talk in our house. Right. You are going to go to your room for two hours and you're going to think about this and you'll come back in two hours when you learn how to talk nicely. Right. Okay, two hours later, comes out of his room, goes back to play with the train set. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, those who need to um, depart the train, this is your stop. Please take your luggage. Thank you very much for traveling with us. We can't <laughs> wait to see you again. Right. Those who are getting on the train, please try to find a, a, a safe place for your luggage. Find your seat, and as soon as you're ready, we'll be moving down the tracks. And the mother's, like every good mother, she's smiling. Wow, it worked. And then she hears. And for those of you who want to know why there was a two-hour delay, ask the bossy lady in the kitchen. <laughs> uh, I got Leonard laughing. I did that oh, pretty that's, good. That's a, that's that a good one. Really I like good. that. I like that. Okay, that was pretty good. Okay. Lots of things to still talk about, but we're not going to have time. But I did want to get into uh, Simchat Torah. The end of the holiday is really a separate holiday, is a special holiday called Simchat Torah, no lulav, no palm branch and etrog, no sukkah anymore. It's just a holiday to actually dance with the Torah. Why is this the holiday to dance with the Torah? So uh, uh, during the time of the Talmud, every Sabbath, we read from the Torah. That's true today also. But they actually had a three-year cycle they would actually read a third of each Torah portion, and it would take three years to complete the cycle. Why only a third? That's what they did. Why, after, don't, we, why don't we do it? Oh, because in the time after the Talmud was sealed, probably somewhere in the, well, that's in the 6th century, somewhere in that 6th or 7th century time after the Talmud was sealed, that next generation, they were known as the Gaonim. And they actually um, instituted, we should finish reading the Torah every year. So with the completion of reading the Torah, we have made a complete circle. Now that we've completed reading the Torah, we are going to dance with the Torah and be, and be happy that we have completed it, and we're starting again. Because the idea of completing something is a very, very important concept. Um, there's a... I can't give this away to all teachers, but I took this test once. I failed. But I was quiet, so no one knew I failed. There's a, there's a, they hand out a test. They do this to teachers, to adults, and it's got like 100 questions. Okay. And the instructions on top are very clear. Do not fill in any answers until you read through the entire test. You know, like by question 20, if you're the first one to get up to this question, yell out. And you'll hear someone say, oh, I'm up to the 20th question. And uh, if you're up to this question, um, please raise your pencil in the air. And you'll see people raising their... And then all kinds of silly things to do. Mm -hmm. When you get to the last question, the last question says, um, please write your name on top of the paper. This is all you're supposed to do on this test. That's the last line. Right. Which means that everybody who yelled out and shouted out and waved their pencils mm -hmm. weren't following directions. Right. Because the direction was the last one. So not always... Do we have all the instructions? Do we have all the information until we've completed the, the study of the Torah? When I've studied and read through the whole Torah, so now I know what the Torah says. 
if I just read a little over here, a little over here, I, I got a few lines over here, I, I mean, I have some nice pieces of information. Right. But at best, their piece of information is a lot of missing material. Right. So therefore, on Simchat Torah, we have finished the cycle. And the same concept when people finish a tractate of Talmud, we'll be very excited, we'll make parties for people who finish a tractate, like me and Mordechai are working on finishing a tractate before his bar mitzvah. That concept of completing a, a subject, a topic, is a very, very important thing. So part of the celebration, we will dance with Torah scrolls um, on a normal Sabbath. So seven, or really eight people will be called up to the Torah to read from the Torah scroll, or to, to make a blessing, and somebody will read for everybody from the Torah scroll. While when we get, while on, on Simchat Torah, actually, everybody wants to get called up to the Torah. So they'll reread certain Torah portions over and over and over and over again. Right. Everyone will have their turn. They'll usually be like uh, parties, what we call a kiddush. Um, the last Torah portion is saved for usually the rabbi of the synagogue, or the head of the school, and there'll be everyone will dance and we'll sing when he gets called up, and then we never end, we never finish. Then we'll start the beginning of the Torah again. Again, a a rabbi or sometimes his bidding people will pay for the honor, or they'll pay to give the honor of that either last or first part of the Torah, and that's all the things that are wrapping around during this holiday and. Depending where you live, uh, you know, I remember children, it was a good time for them to, you know, play, mm -hmm. get in people's way. Somebody told me there's a custom, they bang people on the head with candied apples. There's, every area has their thing, what they do, but it's all, it's all to enjoy. It's like really fascinating to juxtapose it. We have the holiday consider of Sukkot, which is a happy holiday, mm -hmm. and we're supposed to be happy. And then we got to bring it up one more notch. We're going to bring it up one more to celebrate the Torah, celebrate the completion of the Torah. Um, again, it's a, it's a holiday that's not really written much about. So we're not only we're celebrating the written, we're celebrating the oral. So all that is stuff that is happening on this really very fun, happy holiday. Kids talk about flags. Mardachai talked about little children will be running around with their flags, with Torahs on them, and they'll, they'll dance with their parents, they'll be on shoulders, and, or they'll carry them, and one of the blessings, they get all the kids under a big prayer shawl, and they all make a blessing together. It's a very fun, exciting, happening holiday. Well, we're, what we tried to do to our teacher a couple of years ago is, we tried, when, he sat, when he finally sat down, we tried to Tie the People try to tie the, the prayer shawls. Yes, the, anything children can do, they'll tie shoelaces together. We got it. Anyways, um, as always, I'd like to thank my wonderful guest, Mordechai, for coming this week. We had a great time. Hope you had a good time. Yeah. Good. Maybe we'll bring you back again. Um, I'd like to thank all our wonderful sponsors. I couldn't do it without you. I'd like to thank uh, our wonderful production team uh, with Ben and uh, RD and Leonard. And I didn't even have a chance to ask everybody what they learned this week. Probably I'll have to ask them next week. But in any case, I do hope I left you with some food for thought. So until next week, I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk, Let's Talk Torah on New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.